to be with you all in the house of the Lord. A subject that uh, Elder Bloyd had asked me to address years ago now, that I simply did not have the heart to address. Namely because about three and three quarters of a year ago at Mount Carmel, we canceled services one morning on January the 7th of 2018 because we wanted to just pray for Tim Humes and my sister, Tiffany Karpinski. We canceled service and we just prayed openly. First time at any since the Lord had moved in my life back in 2007, 2008, that we had I'd ever gone to a church service where we did not have preaching. The next Sunday, while I was preaching, opening services at exactly this time, my sister died in overdose. As I said. I waited a very long time because I thought I was finally strong enough. I'd like to address the matter of pleasure. And if I can leave you with one word this morning, it would be sustainability. See, we talk of eternal life, and we talk of it as the most important thing. But I would urge you that none of us has yet fully even pierced the thickness of the veil of death that we will go through and then live forever. Every pleasure we know often has some mingled pain or sin or evil. And so it's difficult for us to really imagine heaven without mixing things that simply can't go on forever. However, Jesus has taken explicit concern in our lives. In John chapter 17, while he's praying to the Father, He says, And now I come to thee, and speak these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy. I guess that's two other words. But have you ever thought about what that means? What is his joy? Well, the trouble with our language is there's many ways you could view this. You could first say the joy that Jesus has, and I would submit that that is certainly one because Jesus had joy with the Father from everlasting see unlike all of us he has already tasted eternity and when it talks about the peace of God it talks about a peace that God had within himself while doing all things forever without any disharmony forever all the way back through eternity into unfathomable deaths in so doing he also created all the world he planned out the plan of salvation which included sin all in perfect harmony So God has known peace. He has known what it is to be at peace, and he has known what it is to have right and perfect pleasure. But also, he took pleasure in us. For he loved us. Why he loved us is, in many ways, beyond my imagining. All I know is that he loved us. When we try to consider the different uh, factors, the different reasons for why, we just don't get it. You think of a story like that of Jacob, who spent most of his life tricking and betraying people, and you'd wonder why he loved him. And he loved him when he was in the womb, when the children had not yet done good or evil. And Esau, he did not. Why Jacob? The question is not why did God hate Esau, but it was, of course, why did God ever love Jacob? For indeed, all the world has given proof enough to God of their hatred of him in our perpetual pursuit of pleasures that are not him. 
Now what you, some of you do know, and some of you do not, is that my sister and I were in very similar paths in life. I also did everything you would hope your children never imagine doing, uh, with the single exception of the thing that killed her. I don't know why it was that God stayed my hand, because there was plenty of occasions and certainly no reason why I should not have. But I'd like to consider what the Lord has said to us in his Bible, particularly in Proverbs, about intoxication, indulgence, in consuming things for the purpose of replacing the pleasure that God gives us. Because God gives us pleasure in his time and in his season and in his place. Because he, he has seen fit to do these things, and he's done it in such a way that is sustainable. That song we just sang was very touching for me while considering this particular subject because we should remember that he has care for us. For you see, when we're down and we're troubled, we have an answer and someone we can go to and someone who, it says here, he has a desire that his joy might be ours. See, his joy is not one that for a moment explodes and then you have to pay a terrible price for in the hours, days, and weeks after. But let's see what the fool does in such a circumstance. In Proverbs chapter 23, idea here is brought up particularly as wine, which is another thing that God gives us for our pleasure, but can be used improperly, just as anything on this earth can be done so. Starting in um, Proverbs 23, verse 23, it says, Buy the truth and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, I could spend all day just discussing that, and I hope all of you could spend all day just imagining that, but I'd rather not go down that particular rabbit hole, but consider first where it starts here in Proverbs, and then it goes on to say, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thy heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increases the transgressors among men. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Now, if I gave that list to you, who here would want it? Who has woes? Would you like woes? Would you like sorrows? Would you like contentions? Would you like babblings? Which is to say, speaking unendingly, which I know there have been times and some can certainly accuse me of. Who hath wounds without cause and who hath redness of eyes. Take a, take a second to think about all those different things. So the Bible gave them separately, right? Who hath wounds without cause? Well, those who go and spend their time intoxicated end up finding themselves in brawls without purpose over the silliest and the stupidest of things. But also, sometimes by trips and falls and different things, they might wake up tomorrow and find themselves wounded without knowing why. Why? Well, the answer, beloved, and the secret is this. If you indulge in such things, you don't just lose your capacity to see the difference between a good fight and a bad fight. You also lose a great many other things. The secret that every user of any addictive substance knows is that for a moment, and of course it's a lie because it comes back worse, but for a moment, you have lost your fear and your guilt and your shame. That song we sang just now implores us to go and bring those things to the person to whom can answer them forever. But all those other pleasures in life, what they do is they give a lie. They say, I'll take these things from you. I will save you. 
from your guilt. I'll save you from your shame. You will not be afraid. You will suddenly understand. Consider the babblings. How many street-level philosophers exist at the bars around our country and in so many other places where overindulgence is the theme and the way. How that we seem to suddenly understand when we take part in such things. Who hath redness of eyes and to say the weakness and the brokenness of the body. Contentions and fighting with friends. Those very type of contentions that have given us the strain and the guilt and those troubles of life that often are being sought escape from when we go and pursue such things. But who would want those things? It says who though? They that tarry long at the wine and they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. For indeed, at that moment, it is giving a promise of its beauty. Now, I don't have a problem with wine generally. I think it's good that we use it for our communion services and I think that there's plenty of great places for it. Marriages are wonderful places for a uh, excellent glass of wine. Historically, in America, alcohol has been a major problem anyway. If you were to look at alcoholism rates back at the time of the revolution, you would probably be a bit surprised. Of course, in fairness, they didn't have good drinking water everywhere, so they had uh, some excuses, but they have surely found something for the children, I think. But of course, the promise is here in the Bible that it looks beautiful at the first. The promise of pleasure with friends and I assure you, most every person you know who has ever taken part in going down those paths that would eventually kill, it was their friends who got them into it. It was a friend of mine who got me into it, and it's always that way. Because for some reason, I was listening to uh, some messages from Elder Bradley while I uh, prepared this, and one of them, he was saying how it's always, it's strange how people who are users always want to bring other people into it. They're always proselytizing, saying, hey, check this out, try it out. Why is that? I don't know. Because they know this, that at the end, it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. That moment of promise at the beginning of pleasure is so enticing that even though it bites at the end and it stings and even it kills, something happens. It says here that thine eyes shall behold strange women. And don't, the, the Proverbs are put together in per, on purpose in the way they are. And so when it talks about dealing with um, a strange woman, a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. And then it goes back to that and says that your eyes shall behold strange women, that their heart shall utter perverse things. It talks about the dislodging of those most important principles which keep us from sin and keep us from evil. For indeed, to indulge and to overindulge in any such thing is to, in the end, trade the joy and the pleasure that God has given us and promised us from the start for something that ends in death. And in some cases, far more rapidly than others. It says even more so that he shall be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth on the top of a mast. Now that doesn't mean laying in the ocean itself, but it means in a boat. Laying down in a boat. And what happens in a boat in the middle of the sea? Especially when storms come, it rocks back and forth and has no stability, has no place to go. And indeed, the place where the, the most of the rocking happens is up on the mast, the place of the most motion, the most unsteadiness. The Bible says even closer to the truth, from even being this far out, an uns, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we see the perfect manifestation of this double-minded, those that would pursue those things that God has given, for indeed all things are those which God has given. Remember that, beloved, all things are those which God has given. All good, that is, comes down from above and from the Father of lights. And yet, those that pursue to their own detriment, 
find themselves without strength, without strength to stand. And here it says that they have stricken me, that shall say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. So you see the man who goes down this path starts pursuing just pleasure and wakes up far worse than he went to sleep. And yet it says, when shall I wake? That this sluggard is sleeping and is lost in his way. And it says, and this is the tragedy, beloved. These last few verses are the hardest part of it all. For it was one thing to say that someone had tried something and then uh, realized how troublesome it was, having heard all these horrible things. That would be one thing. But these words are sadly too often repeated. I will seek it yet again. For beloved, to replace God with anything is to replace him with things that end in death. All things that are not God are sin, and the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I thought many times in the years since that day that of what I might have said, and I know that there was, I don't even know if now I would have had the wisdom to address the situation properly just because of my own weaknesses and troubles and the fact that it was my big sister. But if there's one thing I would have told her, it's the same thing I would tell you. It's the same thing I would tell those little ones who know nothing of the world. It's the same thing I would tell those that have seen many more moons than the rest of us. And that is this. That Jesus said that he came and did many things that they might have his joy fulfilled in themselves. Fulfilled, beloved. That means filled to overflowing, more than you can handle. Your complete capacity for pleasure, completely consuming. And here's the trouble. And we had we sing that song. It says, "I have uh, known the joy; it's all complete, welling up within my soul." And it talks about how I have found the pleasure I once sought in the song "Joy Unspeakable." The trouble is this, beloved. That too many people try to take the pleasures of the world and seek to find only those in God. But see, you were designed for a better, more sustainable, eternal pleasure. Remember, your body was designed immortal, and it is broken with sin, not the other way around. Your body was not designed for, in sin, for the purpose of sin. It was not designed to die. It was designed to last forever. To the end, that he's actually going to take the same body, remake it, and fix it better than it was. Eternal, again, able to enjoy those eternal pleasures and those eternal joys that we have, surrounded by him and his person. But where did he, where did he say that the source of all these good pleasures was? Well, I would implore you, maybe your homework tonight can be to read all of uh, John 17. Yes, I do not like homework, so recognize I'm saying that, uh, disliking it. But hear what Jesus says to the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Beloved, to know him, just to know him, is pleasure to its final end. We speak of the intimacies and those wonderful pleasures that we have in the married life, and the Bible refers to that in its culmination as knowing one another. Indeed, how many different pleasures do we have just by knowing each other in Christ, in friendship, and of course, in marriage. But to know Him is eternal life. To know Him. That's it. 
That's all there is to do. The problem is that we've been so separated from him to the end that he himself had to step in. And he says here that as many as he had given him. That he had to step in and those who were so far outside of his pleasure, so far outside of his kingdom, that they wouldn't have even known him if they saw him. They were dead in sin. And such were all of you. Dead in sin. Devoid of pleasure. Your definition of goodness, of pleasure, of enjoyment in life was so bent and twisted and broken, you wouldn't have known the goodness of God if he stood right before you. And yet, Jesus came. To do what? So he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory with which I had before thee, before the world was. Beloved, we should take pleasure unendingly in the glory of God being manifested through Jesus, his Son. And indeed, in all things, on a day like this, it's very difficult not to take pleasure in the glory and the greatness of God's creation. But here, what was the great thing that Jesus did? He said, it says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were. You heard that, right? Thine they were. We know that's from everlasting. And thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they did, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I gave them thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, that these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Beloved, if you were paying attention, I'm out of time. He was talking about his joy in saving us. His joy in doing the Father's work. His joy in the culmination of the glory of God being manifested in the Son's obedience to Him. And in all these things, and in so much more, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Thank you for your good attention. I appreciate what Brother John has brought forth and pray the Lord will bless you to meditate upon that. In uh, Psalm chapter 89... Verse 15, I'd like to read a verse, Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Not every sound is joyful. Uh, Yesterday, I pushed my father outside. The sun was shining and was going to have a a nice uh, conversation with him. And while we were sitting outside, I realized that it was, um, they were having a motorcycle rally. And just all kinds of Harleys. And uh, there's been a time that I enjoyed Brother Mark and I driving Harleys, but when you're trying to have a visit, a bunch of Harley motorcycles in the background is not a joyful noise. Some 
Sounds are not made to be joyful. I've not yet found an alarm clock that has a, a joyful noise. In fact, I remember when uh, Adelaide, uh, your dad, uh, Annabelle, your father, before you all were born, was staying at my house and we'd stayed up late and the next morning he had to be in New York at his office job very early. He was supposed to get up about four o'clock or so in the morning and I had this old fashioned Big Ben alarm clock that my grandfather had given me and so we resorted to that and I think we put it in a metal pan so that Brother Andrew would wake up and all I could hear when the alarm clock went off was this muffled sound and I thought what's going on and Brother Andrew I realized later that he had wrapped that alarm clock when he couldn't figure out how to turn it off in a quilt that my grandmother had made and so it was tucked away. It wasn't a joyful sound to Brother Andrew. But this is actually talking about the gospel message for God's people. Sometimes you can hear a message that maybe it's not in line with God's word and it just has an off-key sound to it. But if a message, if it's based on God's word to God's people, it has a joyful sound. The gospel message is certainly what Brother John mentioned about our eternal salvation and what he brought forth. And certainly that's a, a wonderful blessing to be able to hear about the grace of Almighty God and how that he saves his people. But the gospel message is even more than that. In, in addition to how God saves his people, it's loaded with all the promises that God gives his people in how to live here on this earth. And as we look at those promises and we feast on those promises and we hear those promises in the preached word or we sing about those promises, it becomes a joyful sound to us. And he says that the people that know the joyful sound, not everybody knows the joyful sound. So if you know the joyful sound, then that's an evidence that God's given you an ear to hear the joyful sound. And he says that if you know the joyful sound and you hear the joyful sound, you're a blessed individual. He starts out and he says you're blessed. And then he says those that hear the joyful sound, he says they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Brother Ben oftentimes in his prayers he mentions God's will and that we might know God's will in our life. And that's what the psalmist is saying right here. That if we know the joyful sound, then we can know God's will and we can walk in the life of God's will or God's countenance for us. And the end result is that it's going to be joyful. It's a joyful sound and the end result for you and I is that it brings about joy. We, we talked about last week how that 
uh, Paul said that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, and again, I say rejoice. And one of the best ways to rejoice in the Lord is to know the joyful sound, to hear the joyful sound, and to walk in the countenance that God has given you to walk in. Now, let's look at how the gospel makes an impact in the lives of God's people. We realize that the gospel itself does not give life. It does not give life. It gives life, but it does not give life. The gospel shines light on the life that you have. But the gospel doesn't give that life. But for those that have spiritual life, the gospel is a great, great benefit for those folks. It is. Let's look at it in Isaiah chapter 35. It describes how the gospel makes an impact in the lives of God's people. He gives us some comparisons right here. He says, he describes it, he says, the wilderness and the solitary place. That's like a desert setting. It's like a... a, a Sister Jewel and Brother Carlton and I know full well about the desert. Uh, it, there's just not a whole lot of, of, uh, of uh, beauty to just the desert itself. Until you've had a nice rain. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see some flowers spring forth in the desert, some grass spring forth that you didn't even know was there. He compares the gospel to being presented in a wilderness setting and then seeing the benefit of it right here. He says the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. All of this chapter talks about the benefit of the gospel, the blessing and the benefit of that joyful message. He says, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Well, now that's what happens when a wonderful rain comes forth in a dry ground. All of a sudden, you see the flowers burst forth, you see the grass turn green, you see that there's actually life. And for the child of God that, that hungers and thirsts after God, the gospel manifest the life that you have to you and to others. Look what he says. He says, it shall blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with the joy and singing the glory of Lebanon, the excellency of Carmel and of Sharon. Those were fruitful areas. Uh, Lebanon was known for the tall, strong cedars. It had a lot of greenery. It was a, a prosperous place, a fruitful place. And he's basically saying that the gospel message can make uh, a situation that almost looks like a desert turn into a rich garden. Look what he says right here. Now he begins to get down into the details of it. He says, here's the purpose and benefit of the gospel. He says, the gospel is to strengthen the weak hands 
and the feeble knees. Now, as we look through this, there's promises in here to all different situations and to all age groups. I'm probably more in touch with feeble hands, I mean feeble knees and the trembling hands, the weak hands and the feeble knees after being around my father and all the folks that are in rehab. That's clearly describing an older individual. And there's challenges that we face in the older years that we might not be struggling with at earlier times in our life. But God has given us promises to hold to at those special times. So here's something that's going to help strengthen the feeble knees and the weak hands. Psalm chapter 71 describes it right here. This is addressing uh, to the older. He says, I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. He begins to remind us that our strength at any age, at every age, is in the Lord. He says, let my mouth be filled with praise and thy honor all day long. He says, Lord, would you cast me not off in the time of old age? Forsake me not when my strength fell. Now, when your hands get weak and your knees get feeble, when you begin to have the struggles and trials of life, it's really good to know the promise of God that he's our strength at that time and he's not going to forsake us. That there's not any trial or affliction that we're going to face, no matter how old we live to be, that God is not going to sustain us and hold us up. The psalmist says, be my strength in my old age. And he says, when my natural strength fails, Lord, you be my strength. And then he says, Lord, would you use me? He says, now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power unto everyone that is to come. Sister Helen Beecham. Many of you knew Sister Helen Beecham. A wonderful, wonderful blessing to everyone that knew her. She was in the Senior Olympics, and she lived to be 95 years old. And in her late 80s, uh, she was, would go to the Senior Olympics, and she would win all of these gold medals. And, and uh, she came and visited us one time, and this was when Michael Phelps was just starting out and beginning to get gold medals. And she visited us one time, and she said, I, have eight, I won eight gold medals last week at the Senior Olympics. And she leaned over and she said, don't tell Michael Phelps about that. She enjoyed the competition. But when you talk to her separately aside, Sister Helen would tell you, she said, the reason that I train, the reason that I work so hard, the reason that I'm so diligent in it is because in my old age, she says, I want to be able to be zealous for the Lord and I want to be able to be an encouragement to the Lord's people and I want to be a blessing to other people. And she says, as the psalmist said, forsake me not. But he says, Lord, would you help me to be an encouragement to others? He says, until I have showed this generation the power that is to come. She desired to be used of God to be an encouragement to other people. 
Now, it's a blessing no matter, I mean, Brother Farrington's probably the oldest person here. He'll be 94 years old next month. And I tell you, everybody that knows Brother Farrington knows he's a great blessing and a great encouragement. He's a fulfillment of this verse right here. But did you know that, that God has promises for us, not just at that age in our life? He tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. He says to young folks, he says, You remember the Lord when you're young, he says, before the evil days draw nigh. And what he's just simply saying right there is that as we get older, things begin to happen. And he refers to them as that age. He says, in your youth, you remember the Lord and you be close to the Lord before those extra challenges come your way. Here he says, you take those promises of God and you give them to God's people. You hand them out to God's people and when folks get weak hands and feeble knees, you take those promises and you encourage them. You help them. He says, say to them that are of a fearful heart. And he promises to folks that are of a fearful heart. Anybody ever have a fearful heart? He says there's some promises for you. Satan often attacks us with fear and would overwhelm us with fear. He says, say to them that are of a fearful heart, he says, be strong and fear not. He says, behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. So to those that have a fearful heart, those that are overwhelmed, those that are discouraged, he says, be not overcome with a fearful heart because he said, your God has promised to strengthen you. He's promised to come. He's, come as, he's promised to save you and he is your help. And he says, God will come with vengeance. Now, the world in which we're living in, we only can see just a very short distance in front of us. But we should know that the last chapter hadn't been written. It hadn't. And the Lord's going to write that. He is. So if you become of a fearful heart, if you become overwhelmed, Psalm 61 verse 2 is one of my favorite verses. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That, that'll help you in every situation, at any age, no matter what age you are. If you're young, if you're old, if you're middle-aged, you hold on to that, that God will lead you to the rock, and that rock is Jesus Christ. And when your heart gets overwhelmed, ask the Lord to lead you to the rock that's higher than I. That's Jesus Christ. He'll hold you up. He'll sustain you. He said, you say to those that are of a fearful heart, you be strong, you fear not. Behold, God will come with vengeance. He will make a recompense. He will come and he will save you. The next one. He says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. 
do you know that that can be referring to, it says the eyes of the blind. We, we realize that if we have any sight to see the things of God or understand the things of God, it is because God gives us that sight. But sometimes we need sight in just knowing where to go. We need sight in knowing what decisions to make, the right decisions to make. In Proverbs chapter 3, it gives us this instruction right here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not part of it, but all your heart. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And he says, and by the way, don't lean on your own understanding. That's when we usually get ourselves in a fix. That's when we usually get discouraged. It's usually when we become overwhelmed is when we're leaning on our own understanding. But he says, don't lean on your own understanding. He said, do the contrary, and that is trust in the Lord. And he says, here's what will happen. God is going to open your eyes. He's going to give you a clear path. Look what he says right here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. He says, in all thy ways. He doesn't say in some of your ways. Or some of the time. Or at just different stages or points in your life. He says in all of your ways you acknowledge the Lord. That just simply means that you bring the Lord into the equation. If you're making a decision, if you're planning something, you talk to the Lord about it. And he says if you talk to the Lord about it, he says in all your ways you acknowledge him. And he says if you acknowledge the Lord... If you ask the Lord, it says he will direct your path. Anybody here need some the Lord to direct your path says if you acknowledge the Lord, he'll direct your path. He will. Be not wise in thine own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil from evil. He says, um. It'll be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with with the first fruits of thine increase. He says, if you do that, he says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. He says, and oh, by the way, don't despise the chastening of the Lord and don't be weary of his correction. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, the man that getteth understanding. Says she is more precious than rubies. So God can open our eyes and open our ears and he can give us a clear path. And that's what we need is a clear path from the Lord. Anybody ever taken a path that was contrary to the Lord? You know, it's just, it just, it just doesn't pay to do that. Because the Lord knows how to get our attention and get us back on the right path. He says the eyes of the blind will be opened and the deaf ears will be unstopped. He says, then shall the lame man. That's somebody that is absolutely, totally helpless. Completely can't help themselves, can't help others. They realize their dependence. They realize their helpless condition. 
he says, then shall the lame man, it says that there's going to be such a, tramp, a transformation in the life of the individual that it's almost compared to a lame man turning around and leaping as a heart. He says, there's going to be such a change. It's going to have such a powerful effect that somebody that's paralyzed. And, 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 and let me just say this right here. It is possible. I want to tell you that one of Satan's attacks is to cause us to be paralyzed. If Satan can get you depressed enough, you'll be so paralyzed you can't go about and do anything. You're not going to be able to help yourself. You're not going to be able to help somebody else. If Satan can get you to be overwhelmed enough, you're going to be like a lame man. But if you know that God has delivered you and that He is your strength and that He holds you up, you're going to be like the man that's leaping like a heart. A heart. He says, then shall the, then shall the tongue of the dumb sing. What is he saying? He's giving the comparison right here. Somebody that doesn't even have the ability to speak. And he says, this person that doesn't have the ability, and, and he could be relating it this way, not only might he not have the ability, but he might not have the desire to do it. And he says, when God gets through with you, you have a song to sing. When God gets through with you, you have a song on your heart, and it's a joyful sound. He says, in the wilderness, the waters will break out and the streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. He, he comes on down and he says, uh, uh, verse 10, he, he wraps it up in verse 10. It, it's all really good. The whole chapter is good. You should read it. But this just really sums it up right here. This sums up the gospel message right here. He says, the ransomed of the Lord. What's that mean? That's those that Jesus Christ represented upon the cross of Calvary and paid his price for. They're ransomed. They're ransomed by God. He paid the price through his son, Jesus Christ. He paid the price for your sins so that you don't have to bear those sins. You don't have to pay the price for those sins. It's a price that we couldn't pay. But you really don't even have to carry them around with you here on this earth. He bore those sins. He paid the price for those sins. You've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, and the ransomed of the Lord. He categorizes who he's talking about right here. He's talking about the children of God that have been redeemed by God. He said, then the ransomed of the Lord shall return. That's a blessing, isn't it? Isn't it a blessing when you see a prodigal return home? Somebody that maybe grew up rejoicing in the things of the Lord. Somebody that you sit next to singing hymns of praise. That maybe they rejoiced in the preaching of the gospel. 
And then they became enamored by the world. They became enticed by the world and they thought that's where the pleasure is that Brother John was talking about. Moses said that he had made the choice. He said that he had rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Not to say there's not any pleasure in it. But he says it's very short-lived. And it oftentimes has consequences with it as well. He says the ransom of the Lord, that's somebody that Christ has paid the price for. He says they'll return. And he says when they return, they'll come to Zion. That's the Lord's house. That's the Lord's people. They'll come to Zion with songs. And he says, and everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. Not too many things that's everlasting that we know about. Right here he's talking about an everlasting joy. He says they'll come to Zion. They'll come to the Lord's people with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness. I mean, this is such a great description that we should all desire to experience. He says they shall obtain joy and gladness. I mean, wouldn't you like to be in that category? Wouldn't you like to be in the category that you obtain joy and gladness? He says they'll obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away from them. So back to our text. The wonderful gospel message. The sweet old gospel message. The wonderful story of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Grace, tis a charming sound. Harmonious to the ear. What a great blessing it is. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. He says, they shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Everything about the gospel message for God's people is a joyful sound. It is. There's some things about the message that correct us. Because you know, the end result brings about joy. It does. If there's some correction or rebuke in God's message, it's for our good. And it's going to help us. And the end result is it's going to bring about joy. Brings about joy to hear about what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. And to know that he thought about you and that you were included in that number upon the cross. And that brings about great joy to know that he thought about you when he was on the cross of Calvary. Brings about a great deal of joy to think about heaven. more closer you get to heaven, the more you think about heaven. And, and to think about the song that we sang this morning, how beautiful heaven must be or when we all get to heaven. What a wonderful blessing that is. That brings about joy. But the gospel message also brings about joy to be able to claim those truths that we need each and every day in which we live. We're living in troubled and difficult times. 
And, but it's not without hope because we have the promises in God's Word. And that's what we've got to lean on. That's what we've got to look to. Brings about joy when we can sing about the Lord. Brings about joy when we can hear the messages preached about the Lord. It brings about joy when we can talk to the Lord in prayer. And we can get up from our prayer with the Lord. And we can know that God hears our prayers. And not only does God hear our prayers and know our needs, but that God cares. That brings about joy. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. We're a blessed people. May God bless you.